Welcome to the Deschooling Dialogues. This podcast is a co-creation between Culture Hack Labs and Cosmos Journal. Culture Hack Labs is a not-for-profit consultancy and advisory that supports organizations, social movements, and activists to create cultural interventions for systems change. Learn more at culturehack.io. Post-production is made possible by the dedicated supporters of Cosmos Journal, whose focus is on transformation in harmony with all of life. You can find out more at cosmosjournal.org. Thank you to Radio Kingston for hosting us for this episode. I'm your host, Alnur Lada. Today we'll meet with V, formerly Eve Ensler, the founder of V-Day, of One Billion Rising, of so many important organizations and non-organizations, movements um, in, in the space of social justice and beyond. She's also the co-founder of City of Joy, which is a physical healing center and space in the Congo. Um, she is the author of Vagina Monologues, The Apology. Her latest book, Reckoning, just came out. We're going to talk about that today and so much more. You can Google her and you'll find out uh, all the things she's up to in the world and all the relationships she's been weaving for 30 plus years. Thank you for being with us, V. I'm thrilled to be with you, Helnor. Um, let's start with just a bit of what's animating you and what's moving you and... Uh, in this chaotic moment we're in, in this bifurcation of, of late-stage capitalism and feels like peak capitalism in some ways, peak patriarchy, peak inequality, peak white supremacy, peak stupidity, and maybe even peak possibility. Yeah, I think all of the above. You know, I've just come off um, a three-day um, amazing meeting with um, One Billion Rising coordinators from all over the world where we, we meet every year to imagine and create the agenda for the risings that will follow in the upcoming year. And it's just been an amazing few days. You know, women from Afghanistan, from Democratic Republic of Congo, from India, from all over. And I think one of the things that really struck me is this disparity between what happens when we are in community and working together, and imagining together, and dreaming together, and the explosiveness of our solidarity and love versus what people are up against in their own countries. You know, um, this morning, Lucinda was leaving, going back to South Africa, and she was just saying, like, I'm full of this love, and I'm full of the solidarity, and I feel like I'm going back to war, you know? And I think there's many people in that room who would have said the same thing. And it, their wars are on many different levels. You know, there's climate wars, the war against the planet. There's a war against people in terms of racism, the war against LBTQ, war against workers. We can just go down the list. But I think, I think what's really hitting me and something I was really talking a lot about is so much of my life I've been in the struggle. You know, I've been in the struggle. I've been fighting against Right, I've been up against patriarchy, up against white supremacy, up against capitalism, up against imperialism. And I feel like those terms and that way of operating are not working for me anymore. Because I feel like as we move against the machine and against the patriarchy, they're still defining the narrative because they're defining what we're doing, right? The terms. The terms. And... When I wrote The Apology, which was a, um, a book I wrote because I waited for so many years for my own father to apologize to me for the 
sexual abuse, for the violence, for the degradation of my spirit, for the decimation of my character and being and well-being. Um, I wrote his apology to me because he was dead and for 21 years and he had never written it to me. But I needed to hear it. I needed the words. So I kind of climbed into my father and I wrote it. And I wrote it in his voice. And he really kind of came into the realm that I was in as an ancestor. And he was present for the nine months that I wrote it. And when it was over, the last line of the book is, old man be gone. And it was like the end of Peter Pan when Tinkerbell just goes, my father literally went into the cosmos. And I know he's in a better place. I know he did a lot of reckoning in his own soul and moved himself out of a very, 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 very dark zone that he was in. But one of the things I realized is so much of my life had been guided by my rage at my father, proving to my father I was, he, you know, wasn't the person he thought I was, showing my father I would show him and I'd be this or I'd be that. But he was controlling the story. Mm-hmm. And since the end of that book, that motor, that motor that was driving my life to prove to my father, it's just gone. It's gone. So what's happened is I've got to create this new motor that isn't about him, that isn't about patriarchy, that isn't about any of these things. It's about imagination. It's about the dream. What is the dream? What is our dream? What 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 are we? What's the world we want, right? And and how are we going to create it? And maybe what what happens is that there's this crazy patriarchal, um, po you know post capitalist falling broken down world, but alongside of it, there's this other world that we're creating, and it gets to be so beautiful, so connected, so caring, so lush. So fertile, so sexy, so everything that everyone's like, wait, 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 I want to be in this world. Mm-hmm. I want to go here. And I think we spent a lot of time over the last few days dreaming, like, what are the principles of the new world? What are what does the new world feel like? What what's happening in that world? And I think it gave everybody so much energy to get out of the fight. The fight. We're always in the fight. Um, so that's what I'm dreaming about. Like, you know, I I I what, what what's the environment? What's the setting? So how did you get to that state? I also grew up as an activist and organizer out of the anti-globalization movement. And when, when you're in the face of the the oppression machine, right? When the World Bank is displacing your land or mm-hmm. uh, the WTO is uh, liquidating your assets and making deals at a nation-state level and, and all of that, right? And, and the corporate state nexus. There's such a deep sense of helplessness. Yeah. And what you're saying is you're also accessing some kind of non-dual state mm-hmm. to like hold it in its full shadow, but also hold possibility in its full light. And it requires some kind of work mm-hmm. in some ways, right? Internal, and maybe we think of it as work play. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- what was the process to get there? A lifetime. But I think also that, that the thing that Carl Jung said is in order to survive in this century, you have to hold two opposite ideas at the same time. And I think I didn't used to be so comfortable in the middle of the end of the world, the beginning of the new, the end of the world, the beginning of the mm-hmm. new. I, I, I was an either-or person. And I think one of the things age has done is, or just evolving as a person is that this this place of amb- it's not even ambiguity so much as it, it's it's ambidextrousness. Mm-hmm. It's it's this ability to fly through these different 
seasons of beginnings and ends and these possibilities of of some world collapsing as another world is beginning um look there is plenty a plenty to um resist like there's a lot to resist but what i feel so much having been on the streets for so much of my life having camped out having risen up having been everywhere we need that there's, it's never either or, but there's also something else we need, which is, you know, um, I've learned so much from um, the women of Congo, where I've spent so much time, and particularly at City of Joy, which is this revolutionary center and this sanctuary for women who have, young women who have really been through the worst of sexual abuse and really come shattered. But in the process of being there for the six months, they begin to get healed and whole. And one of the things they've taught me is that there it's about energy. It's about energy. Like here they are in the midst of the worst circumstances in the world, but they are singing all the time. They are dancing all the time. They are moving energy in a certain way that keeps us lifting and keeps us imagining it and keeps us connected to each other. And um, I don't know. I, I think... Um, Sometimes the world can make us feel so despaired, so despaired. Like if, if you just, like just sitting in the room, hearing what's going on in South Africa, hearing what's going on in Congo, hearing mm -hmm. what's going on in Afghanistan right now to women, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just mind blowing. There's no, there's no way to even process what's happened to women there. The, the loss of right after right after right. It's like, it's like those, those, those beautiful dolls where there's a doll inside a doll. It's like a right inside a right, disappearing inside a right, disappearing mm -hmm. inside a right till you're down to literally being inside a, a, a room where you aren't allowed to have any money, so you're not allowed to eat, and you're feeding your family with nothing because you're not allowed to go out ever without a man. You're not allowed to learn. You're not allowed to sing. You're not allowed to dance. You're not allowed to become. You know, music lessons have been void. Painting lessons have been void. Women aren't allowed to do anything. I mean, that state of existence is so mind-blowing. And, we, you know, we really spent time, like, really thinking about that. Like, what does that mean that women are now to that extreme where their rights have been that eviscerated and all the things that created this moment, the imperialism, the interventions, the promises, the broken promises, the what we're going to leave, we're going to free the women, we're going to, and then we're going to abandon the women, right? We're going to, and... um and so I feel like there's some place between this rage, grief, and imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think I live, I live constantly swimming in that sea of rage, grief, and imagination. And how do you access it? I access it through writing and art and creation. I access it through my deepening and ongoing love for the mother and and her creation and the trees and the birds and the water and the turtles and the everything that is here that she's created and I ongo it through the connection to all my friends and people who are in this movement mm -hmm. who are really working from the core of their souls for mm -hmm. a new world. And that's what I notice about you the most in some ways is that you're creating embodied cultures. Mm -hmm. You're doing it with other people. You're in the dialogue of hey this us versus them, binary, traditional activism work is can only get us so far. 
And yes, let's hold all the truth and all the pain and let's put it on the table. And let's also live into the values of, of post-capitalism, of what comes next. And you're doing them simultaneously. There's no amputation. It's like you're metabolizing the darkness and you're creating the, I don't want to call it new, but let's say new ancient emerging cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really tricky because there's some part of me that would just like to launch into the new, but I know we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. There's too much that has to be focused on. We can't just let go because that will fall off the will fall off the edge. At the same time, like how do we keep driving or lifting or imagining that there is this new way out? And, you know, it's 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 so interesting because I look at City of Joy, it's such a metaphor for me, of this place which is a lotus. It, it really grew out of a swamp. And, you know, lotuses are the only flower that blossom in seeds simultaneously that grow from the mud. Mm-hmm. That's why there's such a beautiful metaphor. And I look at where City of Joy is located in Bukavu, Eastern Congo, where the war is still raging after all these years, after millions dying and hundreds of thousands of women being systematically raped and their bodies destroyed, so much poverty and such profound poverty where they are living in the richest, most resourceful country in the world and you literally can't eat their own food, can't access their own minerals, can't because all these people have come from everywhere in the world to extract and take and, and, and move them off their lands. And I think... There's this place, this jewel, in the midst of all of that, that is finding its energy source. And it's like it's like a new world. Mm-hmm. And around it, there's this camp of, of widows from men who, you know, uh, of soldiers. And it's a very impoverished camp. But we've now brought them into our fold. They're part of our web. And a lot of the women in the camp are starting to work at City of Joy, but they're, they come and dance with us. They come and eat with us at Christmas. They celebrate with us. And now they're beginning to change. They're beginning to get this energy that's coming out from City of Joy. So it's really taught me like you, you create the jewel you create this gem in the midst of anywhere that's impoverished, in the midst of anywhere that's hurting in the midst of, and, and suffering. And that diamond, right, it begins to just radiate out. It begins to glimmer out. It's contagious. I mean, the way, the way complaints are contagious or suffering is contagious, you know, joy is contagious. Possibility is contagious. All love is contagious. And so how do we how do we do the outrageous, absurd act of loving more, of of caring more, of believing more at a moment that says this tells us to do the exact opposite? And to me, it's very Beckett. It's very Beckett. Like I've always loved Beckett. He's yeah, my too. favorite writer. You know, I can't go on, I will go on, I must go on. It's like that's where we are. That's where we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think that's possible even in the midst of a bereft and impoverished culture like the U.S.? You know, we're sitting here in Kingston in upstate New York, the former capital of the state, the, the landing place for the British monarchy, and then uh, IBM 200 years later, um, who a shared friend of you and I said to me, the internalized British monarchy. It's yeah, just the same exactly. thing. Uh, and it's destitute here in many ways, culturally, spiritually, and the women of the Congo and 
cultures worthy of the word culture, they have dance at their core and they mm-hmm. have music at core and they have community at their core. Can it happen here? Of course it can happen here. You know, look, I've had such great fortune to be able to have toured this country so many times because I've done so many plays. So when I did the Vagina Monologues, I probably went to every city in this country. I did the Good Body. I toured this country. I did Emotional Creature. I toured this. I've, I've toured this. I know this country really well. And I know the people of this country really well. And there is a hunger in the people of this country for a new culture, for 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 principles, for things to believe in. You know, one of the things we were creating this week is the philosophy of rising and really mapping out what are the principles that we believe in as a movement. Because one of the things we don't have anymore, religion has failed us so deeply. Mm-hmm. Right? The nation state has nation failed. State media has failed, has failed. Media has failed to stay. But what if academia. we have a new philosophy? What if we, we create a new vision of the world and we have tenets of it that we all agree to? Right. You want to share some of them? Yeah, I mean, I'll share some of the things we were talking mm-hmm. about. Like, one is do no harm, do no harm, and 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 honor each other's becoming, honor each other's becoming, and and that means that we don't interrupt each other's processes, whether it's gender evolution, whether it's artistic evolution, whatever it is. Um, I think listening, listening, deep listening. It's a principle. Um, radical empathy. Radical empathy. Like, are you feeling and really feeling what the person is going through, has experienced that you've been in? Um, I think I think making art, making art and the creation of art a part of everything we do. So it's not seen as this separate thing the way America has divided it out. Like, you know, I, I remember when we started OBR and I always tell this as a joke, I uh, you know, which was a radical dance movement to end violence against all women, girls, and um, trans and, and non-binary people in the world. And I was interviewed on this show called Hard Talk in, in, in Britain. And the guy looked at me and he said, tell me, Miss Ensler, what does dancing do? And I just started laughing. And I was just like, what doesn't it do? What doesn't it do? But it's this idea of perceiving art and dancing and music and poetry and theater as if it's some lowly like thing that you get to as an afterthought as opposed to being the center of whatever we are and whoever we are because the one thing art can do is break binaries break through right and left and 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 open up your heart and blow open your mind and blow open your spirit so that you can begin to really question how you think or rearrange how you think or begin to think in alignment in another kind of way with the earth in a way you've never been able to think before. And it's inherently disruptive because the entire West is based on axiomatic Cartesian linear logic, which is why art is seen on one sense as frivolous. It's not quote-unquote productive. It goes against the Protestant work ethic. But then on the other side, it's the secular religion of the West. We lionize artists and create these museums and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on um, static pieces of paper. And so, which which is very uh, telling of, of the Western psyche to both demonize and lionize the thing it doesn't understand. Well, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. 
because they're they're turning things into hard matter. They're, it's a fixity, right? It, it just it's freezing things as opposed to, um, you know, I, I was thinking the other day about just growing up in this culture as an artist and how hard it is if you're really an artist and and you're trying to um, really find your way in 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 speaking your voice in in matching where we are with what's going on inside of you and it's it's often messy it's often um it's often is always disruptive and i think in a way what america is most afraid of most afraid of is disruption right i i i write about it actually in in in, in reckoning there's a, there's a um essay called disruption because i remember th- hearing about this town that where the people knew they were living next to um a, a poisonous um um factory or or mm-hmm. machine that was like literally making everyone in the town sick but nobody wanted to give up their houses no one wanted to give up their comfort no one wanted to move no one wanted no one wanted to be disrupted right no one wanted to move out of whatever comfort zone that so they were actually willing to just get sicker and sicker and sicker and to me that there's something that's in, the metaphor it's the metaphor yeah. it's like we drug people in this country we overeat we we're addicted to everything. It's 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 so to to the opposite of disruption. It's to keep everyone nest anesthetized and numb and sleepy and not believing they have any rights or ability to advocate for another way of being here. You know, and and you know, it's not accidental that the pharmaceutical company has made so many drugs and so so many people. <coughs> are hooked on those drugs, right? So they're not feeling their rage. They're not feeling upset. They're not feeling like the level of which they need to feel in order to create a revolution, right? It's all just numb. So I'm I'm really big on disruption. Um, the body. We have not talked about the body mm-hmm. as a site of revolution, but there's a lot of parallels between the demonization and lionization of art and demonization and lionization of the body. Mm-hmm. Right, we'll do anything from the most insane, untested pharmaceutical drugs to life extension machines to uploading our consciousness to the AI to keep this thing going, and yet we have almost no relationship with it as a dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and maybe we say a little bit about um, the the body and your relationship and understanding the role of the somatic experience in liberatory expression. Well, it's so interesting what you're saying because I think. It, it, it's kind of parallel to what we were saying about demonizing and 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 lionizing. It's like we do a lot to the body, but the body actually doesn't exist. It's like it's this conceptual thing, right? For me, everything in my life, I was talking last night to Tiokasen about the body and about the heart and about energy and about how for both of us, we were just saying everything lives in the, that plane, like that's where the change happens. That's where you can feel everything beginning to work into something new. And for me, I, at a very young age, because my father sexually abused me and beat me, left my body because it was the site, the landscape of so much horror and so much pain and so much brutality that I couldn't live in my body because anytime I came back into it, there were memories, there were scars, there were beatings. There were, so I left and I lived way up in my head, right? I remember I wore a hat all the time. 
it was like it was just to keep my head on because my everything was so much in my head, right? I was just I was just ahead. I had a therapist who once said to me, I've never thought of you as a person with a body. Like it was just, I had left my head. And when I started to perform the vagina monologues, which I know on some level, like all of our art is obviously expression of trying to understand a certain topic or, or issue, but it's also an attempt to 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 like kind of move ourselves back into some kind of um, change that we are desperate for. And I remember one night I was performing the vagina monologues and I actually came back into my vagina right there on the stage. And I went, whoa, like I was in my body, right? And that was the beginning of a journey of, of return, of a journey of return because patriarchy and that violence had pushed me out of this country, that, that was my body in the same way that, you know, it's, it's all parallel to people occupying you and terrorizing you and, and what's been done to women historically. Country after country in the world is the occupation, raping, decimation, battery of our sexuality and our core energy force that's been so decimated that the energy and vision and what we need right now to survive has just been so pushed underground that what we need to do is actualize it and vitalize it. But in terms of my journey, that journey has now gone on. And after I did In the Body of the World, which was really, I got this very, very bad cancer 14 years ago where it was like, okay, it's everywhere. Like it is, you know, whatever that PTSD, whatever that trauma was, whatever that, it had just moved into all the parts of my body and just occupied me, occupied me. And the journey to get it out was the journey for me to come back into my body. I had to re-inhabit myself. I had to take, I had to take over where they had taken over. I had to say, you don't get to live here anymore. I'm living in this space. This is my body. You're not, you're not occupying. And that's taken many years. Mm -hmm. And now I I know, I know when I'm in my body. I have the energy I need. I have the vision I need. I have the clarity I need because I'm connected to the mother. Mm -hmm. I, it's body to body. I am her body. She is my body. I'm part of her body. We're not separate from that body. And we have been pushed off the land. You know, we have been pushed out of our bodies. We have been pushed out of our own knowingness, our own beingness, our own sense of, of continuity and community. And that's what has to be restored. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, like the dualism that came out of first the Renaissance and then Enlightenment that essentially said the mind and body are separate, mind is superior, Cartesian dualism, then translated into uh, all other, right? There was us and then there was the other. And then, of course, the white male Christian was on top of that. And so... The othering happened to to women, to indigenous people, to black people, to bodies of culture of all types. And it, it's not a us versus them thing because it's physically manifested in our disconnection from our body at a societal level, at a cultural level. There's um, a heretical Sufi line that says the body is the prophet. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's heretical is in traditional institutional mm -hmm. Islam, you would say Muhammad is the last mm -hmm. prophet. To say the body is the... It comes from a, actually... Mm -hmm. a, a triptych, which is the body is the prophet, the ummah is the prophet, the desert is the prophet. So 
the the body, as you say, is this it's our direct relationship to the mother, to earth itself, Pachamama, Gaia, however you want to see it. The Uma means community. It's the community of people around you that keeps you accountable to those practices. And the desert is the prophet, is the ecology is the prophet. Yeah. Our there is no consciousness outside the living landscape. No. And that these are three cascading uh nested ontologies or types of beingness, right? Which is body, community, place. Yeah. And we don't have a relationship at a cultural level, at least, with either of those three central pillars of a mystical tradition, let's say, or an indigenous tradition. Mm -hmm. And so the last question and, uh, you know, part of the inquiry of this podcast is what do we need to unlearn societally, individually, at a community level, however you want to answer it. That we're separate. That's the biggest. That's the biggest. This idea that we're separate. The idea that we're separate from the earth, the idea that we're separate from the other, each other, the idea that um, we, we all don't come from the same mother, right? That we all yield back to Africa, to our African mother, the, the idea that, um, okay, we have to unlearn hierarchy. We have to learn, mm -hmm. really have to unlearn hierarchy. And the fact that I, we have to unlearn race. It's, what is that? Uh, we were speaking with Vanessa Andriati, who wrote Hospicing Modernity mm -hmm. a couple of days ago, and she was saying her elder, Chief Ninawa, from the Huniqui people of Accra in Brazil, said, um, colonialism is the imposed sense of separation. This was his definition of col colonialism, is that it's a cognitive, relational, neurobiological impairment mm -hmm. based on the illusion of separation. Mm -hmm. it, that Genius. was his definition for whiteness and Genius. colonialism. That's so beautiful. It's, it's not racial, it's... No. If you have been socialized into the illusion of separation, that is the colonization of your mind and body and heart and soul. And it's actually the breakdown of them mm -hmm. because we can't live in separation. Mm -hmm. It's it's too lonely. Mm -hmm. It's too fragmented. It's just it's really just PTSD. That's mm -hmm. all it is. I mean, that's all separation really is. Mm -hmm. It's post trauma. It's just mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. And and part of it is 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 when you really begin to know that you are every person you meet and everything you touch, then you realize that you don't really have to exist at all. Mm -hmm. It's you just, enchantment. It's enchantment. You just surrender to this gorgeous sea of, 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 of ultimate becoming, which each of you is a part of making. I mean, the notion that what some people do is more important than what other people do. That's something we really have to unlearn. You know, that, that, some people get to sit at the table because they're important and other people don't get... First of all, we got to get rid of the table. Mm -hmm. We just got to sit in the circle, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. And also, I think, I think what we really have to get rid of is the fundamental belief that we as people do not have the wisdom, power, energy to actually reinvent the world. Mm -hmm or return to the world that we come from, mm -hmm. right? We have that power. It's just a question of being so close to each other that we are constantly in this kind of reminding state with each other where I push you and you push me and I push you and you push me to keep evolving and becoming. Beautiful. I think that's a great way. I won't say end because we're always in the middle. 
but it's a good way to stay in the middle for now. Okay, beautiful. Love you, my dear. Love Thank you, you so much for Thank being you. with us.